Hi, and welcome to Hysterics. I'm your host, Kate Averett. In this episode, I was honored to interview Mac McCusker. Mac is a ceramic artist and trans activist whose work has actually inspired this series on pottery in the body. Mac uses their body and their work in a wholly radical, intensely vulnerable way. As a transgender artist and activist, Mac is hypervisible, particularly in the state of North Carolina. Their work plays with this notion of visibility, using their own sculpted form to comment on the realities of transition, the flimsy idea of binaries, and the potential for empathy that can be found in art. Mac's work has evolved over time and alongside their identity, melding the personal and the political. The very first work that I started doing as a ceramic artist in undergrad was figurative. And so back then it was really based on being raised female in the South. So my first pieces were about gender stereotypes. The very first figural piece I did was called um, Barefoot and Pregnant. And it was a, a picture that had real human feet and it had like the woman with her hand on her, the, her lower back and she was pregnant. But it didn't have a head and it didn't have another arm. And it was about the stereotype of where women's place should be. And so I always sort of played with gender and gender stereotypes. And uh, then I started doing self-portraits kind of about my own place in that. I mean, I was told that if I didn't get married and have a family, what was my worth as a female? Like, how was I going to have a legacy? What was I going to do if I died? There would be nothing. Um, And so I started questioning that at an early age. I mean, I guess I was in my 20s. But then I stopped doing that when I went to graduate school because I just got tired of me being my own subject. And, um, and I've moved to doing animals and endangered species. And it was kind of freeing to not be the subject of my own work, but also very sad to constantly deal with death and animals and the state of the world. And I didn't start bringing myself back into the work until the bathroom bills happened. And I had already come out as trans, um, and I in no way wanted to be the subject of my work because then that would make me public and open for ridicule and criticism and, and things like that. And I know there was a moment when I made that decision, like in my head, like if I do this piece, then I can't go back. And I sort of gave that some thought, but I had no idea what was actually going to follow that. Um, and the first piece was, was the pissing on the North Carolina bathroom bill. And it's been me standing in front of a urinal with my birth certificate on the floor, you know, kind of like looking backwards, like, what? <laughs> and um, immediately I got attention and started getting into shows and kind of catapulted into a level of the art world that I had never been before. I mean, in the time from the three or four years that I did the animals, they all sold, but never got into a single show. So now I'm making all this work that's making getting into all these shows and getting national attention not one of them has sold. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Yeah. How does that I mean, how is your relationship to making change with that? I still do the animals. I've kind of switched the uh the subject to them. I now do gender switching animals. There's like uh there's a bunch of them to do that, but predominantly reptiles and so I've been doing a lot of frogs and bearded dragons and I'm about to do a, a sea turtle for my next demo. Um, there's these new things about lions in a zoo that change genders and grew manes and they don't know why. 
Um, so there's quite a bit of them. We, we exist in nature and have for centuries. Um, but it's kind of calming and less weighted to do those animals and also kind of subtle, like I'm still doing this content and you don't know, haha. Um, but doing the work, the self-portraits, it's also freeing and it kind of in some ways lets me work out my own crap by doing the self-portraits. And when I first started doing them, they were very serious in content, but they were kind of funny. So it made it, I think, more palatable for cis people and people who just weren't generally educated about trans issues to look at, sort of laugh, and then go, oh, well, that, you know, that's real. Um, But after I did a couple of them that were funny, it's not funny, you know, and I kind of just, as my lived experience changed and I was starting to get criticism because of my public persona, I guess, um, and people think they know you when you start doing this kind of work, um, it, the, the last two pieces I've done have not been funny. And it's amazing the reaction to that. Um, they, they, I constantly get on my social media like, why aren't you smiling? You know, you, you, uh, you've passed as male. You have all these privileges now. And, you know, why aren't you happy? Or, you know, you're done now. Why aren't you, why aren't you happy? And, and uh, so it's now kind of a way, because I have their attention, to say, no, look, this is really what my life's like. This level of visibility is something that is especially striking when considering Mac's work within the context of their peers. Within our city and within Mac's studio, their work stands out as overtly political, garnering both positive and negative attention. And you come in and like most things at Odyssey are that kind of like functional pottery. There's not anything super challenging except for your work. (laughs) And like it does, like there is that sense of humor, but I'm really curious, like if you have seen that play out. Oh yeah. 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 Um, The mugs that I do, the, uh, oh yeah. uh, um, After, actually when Trump was running for the campaign against Hillary, I made Hillary mugs, I made Bernie mugs, and I probably sent a Bernie mug to every state in the United States and abroad. Um, And uh, I made five fuck Trump mugs because I said, surely he's not going to get elected. I don't want to get stuck with these mugs. So, um, you know, I'm not going to make that many. And um, then he got elected, and that was actually my birthday. It was November 9th. So I woke up, you know, happy birthday, Mac. You have Trump as a president. Um, So... I, I literally woke up and was just, like, so upset. And I was like, oh, my God, the, re- the revelation that I'm going to have to make these for four years, <laughs> hopefully just four years. Um, but the response to those mugs in Odyssey, I can always tell when people are by my work because you hear laughter um, most of the time. But I think it was last month somebody actually wrote Make America Great Again underneath the mugs. Um, which is like, wow, vandalism. <laughs> That's never happened before. Um, and uh, there have been a few places that have actually stopped selling them because people have demanded refunds or have said, we can't believe that your political belief. If you support that artist, we don't support you. Um, and that's relatively new. And I think the longer he's in office, the more emboldened people become to, you know, uh, just speak openly about their dissent. And it's definitely been reflected in the way I'm perceived, for sure. And it's way more confrontational than it ever used to be. So, 
Um, but uh, the the trans work, if you're just kind of walking by it, especially the sculptural work, you don't readily see it and, and read it as that's what the subject is about, except the bathroom piece. And most of the people, when they walked by it, would just laugh because they didn't quite realize what it was about. And then when they made the connection between the bathroom bills and that, then they would, would recognize what it was. But I don't think I really received any kind of backlash from that because, for the most part, North Carolina was against HB2 because of the financial repercussions, if not because of the trans issue. Um, so it was, it was received pretty well. And it stayed in the gallery for, I think, a year at least. Um, but the other uh, things are, I think, more subtle, so they don't really recognize it. Um, but then the uh, the mini-me portraits, it's funny, like when I walk around, I see, they go, oh my God, <laughs> that's you. <laughs> so that's been kind of funny, but yeah. Uh, the teapot, the, um, the the bathroom one was kind of funny. I, yeah. did the, I did the one of Pat McCrory peeking underneath the bathroom stall. Did you see that one? No. Yeah. Um, I'll have to show it to you, but uh, it's, it's a straight-up portrait of Pat McCrory peeking underneath the bathroom stall, and you can see a, it's a female bathroom, and there's legs underneath it, and um, there's, like, two stalls, and he's literally on his hands and knees, like, peeking underneath the stall, and it's called Peeping Pat McCrory. And um, I, I really want to mail it to him one day. Uh, but whenever I do um, lectures, I always show that slide, and I show the sculpture, and then I show his real face. And it's a, I, I, he has little wire glasses on the sculpture as well, and it looks just like him. Um, and that got a lot of laughter because, I mean, as serious as the situation was, it's, it's funny to see how absurd his behavior is and how obsessed he is with where people pee. But um, So that one was kind of funny. And... Um, and then the transition pending one that I did, um, the, the T-shirt says transition pending, and on the back it says, boy, some assembly required. So part of a, a, a dialogue, I guess, about where, my, where I was at the time, I was still sort of in between two genders and was still um, getting some backlash. And like a, there was no bathroom I could go into. I got yelled at no matter what bathroom I went into. So... But it was still to that point where it was sort of funny, you know, people's reaction to me, um, you know, sir, ma'am, sir, ma'am, whatever. And it wasn't really hostile. It was, it was, I guess, borderline funny. Um, and it was kind of also in response to people wanting me to be Happy Smiley Mac done, you know. And so, I'm, you know, the gesture is, you know, like, I don't know, you know. And it's got the, um, the little spiral that goes around on your computer when, when things are loading, so that was kind of the joke, too, was, um, you know, when are we done? When is anyone ever done? Max Body doesn't just appear as a player in political policy like bathroom bills. They use ceramics to invite their audience into the physical, emotional, and the medical aspects of transition. I started taking testosterone in, I think, the beginning of 2016. And initially I went on a very low dose so that I wouldn't shock myself. I didn't want to all of a sudden not recognize myself in the mirror. And also I was in a relationship and I didn't want to shock them either. I wanted to make it as kind of a smooth of a process as I could. And then when that relationship didn't, did work, didn't work out, um, in 2017, I moved to Bakersville and um, the, the way I was taking testosterone before was a cream. And so it was had to be made in a compounding pharmacy, and it was $120 a month. And, you know, living by myself in Asheville, I could not afford that. And 
crazy enough, the injections are about $20 a month. So I switched, you know, for financial reasons and because why not? And, uh, and they were supposed to give me about the same amount and they somehow messed up the dose. And so I got twice what I normally was on and I didn't know any better and doctors don't really know what they're doing. Um, everyone's a little bit different. So, um, your testosterone level for a male is supposed to be a male my age. It's supposed to be between 400 and 800. And they tested mine, I think after three months and it was 1576. And so, uh, um, a little bit of a panic there. And, but I lived by myself, so I did not have anyone to reflect my changes to or on. And so I took a lot of selfies to sort of record my own experience um, and to be able to notice the differences. But still, it was very jarring. Within that three months, I grew a beard. I could all of a sudden do pull-ups. I mean, I could be do athletic things that I could not do before. I lost weight. Um, you know, your appetite changes, the, the way you interact with other people. It, it didn't really change for me, but the way I was perceived changed. So, you know, being next to a female in an elevator, as a female, I would probably engage them in conversation. But as a male, even a small male, it's, it's different. You know, I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, but that's a completely foreign experience for me. So, um, just that relationship to my body and really not recognizing myself was very sudden and very difficult to deal with by myself. I didn't have the trans community to talk to at that point. I eventually reached out, which helped a lot, but, um, yeah, uh, a solo transition was, was, was not fun. One of the really amazing things about Asheville, and I didn't know that when I moved here, but uh, I was reading articles and I just looked up transgender in Asheville to try to see if there was a community here. And the first thing that came up was Asheville transgender community and physician and winches here in Asheville had a transgender, has a transgender specialist that will immediately get you into their program and they not only offer you um, hormone replacement therapy and guidance through that process, but also um, how to change your name and how to go through and get surgery and which surgeons are reputable and which are not and which ones do it above ground and which ones kind of hide that they do it. And uh, I was very amazed that I kind of lucked out and moved to Asheville and had this, this great community. Um, but even with that, if I don't see my normal doctor, like if I walk in for, you know, a cold or something and they, they, you get to see whoever's working. Um, I'm always asked cause my driver's license still says female. Um, I'm always asked when was your last mammogram? And I'm, you know, look down at my chest, which there is one, isn't one. Um, you know, and, and I just want to go, did you even look at me when, you know, when I walked in the door? Um, but yeah, dealing with that. And most doctors, yeah, if they are not treating you with hormone replacement therapy, have no clue what level you should be on, what that should look like, if you should take your shots intramuscular or um, subcutane subcutaneously. Um, they just have no clue. So you're almost navigating your own 
health system, and I had to do it through research and what was normal and what's not normal and um, kind of figuring that out for yourself. So there's, um, there's not a huge amount of side effects from testosterone, no more than any cis male would have. I mean, you, you uh, inherit the you know, higher risk of stroke, higher risk of heart disease, um, those kind of things that any you know, cis male would have. But uh, beyond that, there's not a whole lot of side effects, but there are some, um, and a lot of the changes that you go through are not reversible. Um, you, there's a redistribution of your body fat, so you generally become more muscular. Your belly fat moves from your um, lower abdominal to your higher. Um, your muscles in your face sort of become more pronounced. Your hairline recedes. I'll, not if, some people lose hair, but I haven't yet. Um, so, if I were to stop taking testosterone tomorrow. I would probably gain a little weight back. I would become less muscular. I would get my hips back. Um, and that's not really talked about a lot. And also, the um, there's it causes like thickenings of some of your tissues, um, which is what I'm now having side effects from. And they think it's from that higher dose of testosterone that I was on for three months. Um, but I had to go to a urologist to see that. And even wenches uh the only transgender friendly is how they uh, phrased it was a women's clinic so i was supposed to walk in there with my full beard into a women's clinic to see a urologist and i didn't (laughs) um there was another uh, uh trans sort of a trans specialist in brevard and I went to see her instead, and she was amazing. Like, asked me my preferred pronouns, and did I want my body parts referred to in any particular way? Or um, just very friendly, very understanding, very kind, which I'm not used to. I'm not used to ever being treated that way. I've been, I've had to go to mission a few times, and and was never treated very well. The piece that kicked off my whole interest in the way that ceramic artists deal with the body is Max Teapot. It's a literal teapot with a set of matching teacups. However, the teacups stack to form a syringe, and the teapot is a bottle of testosterone. This kind of functional work that's also personal, so intimate, and also so charged is a cornerstone of Mac's current body of work. Yeah, the um, the interesting thing about that piece was uh, there was a show in New York that I really wanted to get into, and uh, I think it was called something about narrative vessels, uh, stories on pots. And I don't normally do that. I, I, I did when I was an undergrad, but I haven't really done it recently. And so I thought it would be a way to sort of stretch my skills as a ceramic artist to come up with a way to tell a story through a vessel. And uh, I prefer doing them through teapots because it kind of gives you more sculptural uh, aspects with like, you know, a handle and a spout and um, the lid and, and, uh, and then what would the cups look like. And so I came up with that idea, and I just thought it was hilarious. And, uh, and then also challenging in, as far as pots go, I mean, how do I make this stackable syringe-looking thing? Um, and you know, uh, looking up the actual testosterone bottle, and at the time I made that, I was not giving myself shots. <laughs> a little foreshadowing there. Um, but uh, So I kind of researched like what that looked like, and it was really interesting to do. And then I struggled with whether or not I was going to put my name on the prescription and uh, would I go so far as to, to you know make that personal? And it just seemed fitting 
that I did that I think on it there's a there's a decal of what I looked like at the time as well which is kind of fun to go back and look at but um yeah it's funny and it actually was the first time I made it into ceramics monthly I've gotten the exposure exposure section for that piece which I thought was kind of funny too um that I'm doing all this sculptural work about you know my transition and what you know that has to do with my life and yet I make this teapot and that's what makes it into the the magazine but yeah <laughs> that's so interesting because there is there is like this divide between sculptural and functional pottery yeah and it goes both ways which is so weird because also like if you're a potter you get looked down on but if you're a ceramic artist you don't it's like these circles of like there's spheres you're not allowed into there like, there are which I think is what makes me um stand out a little bit because yeah. I mean I'm constantly told I do everything. I might mean, I do sculpture, I do hand building, I do pots, I do narrative vessels, and uh, I love it that I can do all that, and and I choose to do all that because I get bored easily, and you know I can't imagine myself sitting on a pottery wheel all day. For one thing, it's hard on the back. <laughs> For another thing, it's just how many different things can I say with mugs? I mean, I do love my political mugs, and they do sell and help pay the rent, um, and I take great jo- joy of the fact that my fuck Trump mugs do help pay the rent. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't just do that. I couldn't say, I think what I wanted to say with just pots. And also I can't say what I want to say with sculpture either. Um, you can't really put decals on a, a sculptural piece and get a, the same message across. Like it has to be moving. And I think the reason those pieces aren't selling, but getting a lot of attention is I think people are moved by them and it says a lot about the human condition but could someone live with that? Could someone look at that every day and want to be confronted with that content every day of their lives, which I think is what is the divide in between people liking my work and people wanting to buy my work. This is a whole other thing that we don't have time to talk about. Like <laughs> people who are willing to follow you on social media and have this on their feed only if you're done and smiling, but not willing to live with your work in their home. Yeah. Is Oh, yeah. 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 That's bizarre. Yeah. I, if I hear one more time that I'm a pioneer. <laughs> or a warrior. Or a, yeah. Or so brave. <laughs> yes. You're so inspirational. Uh, yeah. I think, I think what people don't recognize in anyone who lives any kind of marginalized existence, it's nothing to do with courage. You don't have a choice it is your life, so you have to live it, whatever it takes. You're basically surviving it. Um, I do make a choice to be public about it because when I came out as trans in 2008, there were no, that I knew of, transgender artists, especially transgender ceramic artists. So I feel like if I can give that to one teenager or college student or, or adult who's struggling, then that makes it worth it. And I get at least one email or reach out through social media, Instagram or Facebook a week from some high school student or college student that's doing their ceramics report about me, which how awesome is that? Um, And it really does kind of help me get through the harder times. And I think by sharing those harder times, I'm not only educating the cis people or the people who just are uninformed, I'm also helping those people who might be experiencing the same things by validating their experience. When I first came out as trans in 2008, I 
I did so because I had first met another trans person in Atlanta when I was in graduate school, and I hadn't really recognized that that's why I was so unhappy until I met someone like me. And I, it was kind of like my aha moment was like, oh my God, there is my relief. There is, there is when I'm going to be happy. And then I recognized what that would entail and could I do that? And what I thought might happen was, am I going to lose my friends? Am I going to lose my family? Am I going to be able to get hormones? Am I going to be able to eventually have surgery? Will I be able to afford that? Will I lose what I have? Will I sacrifice my career and my jobs, my ability to get a job? And I became immediately suicidal. And I ended up in rehab and a mental hospital for multiple suicide attempts. And it was coming out of that that I said, okay, I'm either going to live miserably in this other existence or I'm going to be authentic and at least have that. And I did lose family and I did lose friends and I did lose pretty much most of the things that I thought I was going to lose, but I also gained authenticity and I made new friends and I have new family and I also have sort of this valid existence where I can look myself in the mirror and like what I see. And there's so many people who can't do that no matter what their bodies look like. And to have that is, I think, more important than I ever lived before. You're like, awesome. You gotta say, you know. Yeah. Because so many people don't want to hear about that. No. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't think people recognize that. Because um, it, it's... I can only imagine, like, how terrifying that is. Where you're like, it's like a point of no return where you're like, I've now yeah. realized this is what I need to do. Oh, my God. Yeah, I haven't gotten a job since I came out as trans. Yeah. Not one. You know? And 41% of people who are trans attempt suicide. And it's something like 84%, don't quote me on that, but uh, young people attempt suicide whose families do not accept them. And of that, uh, people whose family do accept them, I think it goes down to like 17%. So just acceptance of, of who we are, you know, decreases that, that anxiety and that, you know, not willingness to live. You know, it's, it's amazing the difference. And, you know, I don't think people recognize that either. I mean, what effort does it take to call someone by a different name? People do it all the time in nicknames, and people get married, and all of a sudden you have this different name, and people have no problem with that. Um, people misgender their animals and go, oh, my God, I'm sorry I called your cat a she. You know, it's a he. You know, and they, and they correct themselves constantly on that. But when you put that to a person, it somehow is offensive, and it somehow takes all this great effort to make these changes when it should be nothing. There's no way to wrap this episode up with a little narrative bow. Mac and activists like Mac are fighting every day by making their bodies visible and telling their stories to make life better for future generations of trans and queer individuals. If you're struggling, feel unsafe, or just need someone to talk to, please reach out to people that can help. One resource is Trans Lifeline. Trans Lifeline is a national trans-led nonprofit dedicated to improving the quality of trans lives through their hotline, micro-grants for things like name change or ID updates, as well as advocacy and education. Their hotline is available to you at 877-565-8860. 
I've also included a link to their website in the description of this episode. And if you haven't already, please follow Max Work, also linked in the description of this episode. More than that, if Max's words have impacted you, consider buying their work, whether it be a mug or a sculpture. Supporting their work supports their activism. And as we discussed in this episode, while we so often connect with marginalized people on social media or through mediums like podcasts, that doesn't translate into paying the bills. By sharing so much of themselves through their art, their teaching, their writing, and their public speaking, artists like Mac are engaging in intense emotional labor. All the while, their sales suffer due to discrimination. Well, yes, we talked about Mac's work being really heavy. It's also really, really fucking badass. I think we all need a fuck Trump mug somewhere in our cabinet. So to wrap up, I just want to say another huge, huge thank you to Mac for sharing so much of yourself on this podcast. It means the world to me, and I hope that for some of you, you either learned something new or you found someone whose voice really resonates with you. So with that, I'm going to wrap up this series on ceramics in the body. It's been a really, really amazing process. And I'm just so happy that so many of you have been on board for this kind of left turn into the intersection of my life, which is, you know, looking at body image and also looking at art. And it's something that I want to keep exploring. I honestly don't know when the next episode of Hysterics is going to come out. I'll probably meet someone I really want to interview. We'll do something and it will take me another three months to edit it and get it together. My life is changing pretty rapidly. So I might be reaching out more on my blog or on Instagram for a little bit, but there will definitely be more hysterics coming. And the invitation is open. If you want to be interviewed and you want to be on an episode of this podcast, please reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. There are so many, so many stories that need to be told. And while I surely won't be the one to tell them all, it would be an honor for me to help get your story out into the world for you. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at hysericsblog and on my website, hysericsblog.com. Thank you for sharing part of your day with us. Looking forward to talking to you soon.